costume department on the west side of Los Angeles, it's Hi, I'm Film! Tonight, we've got Carly Walsh and postcards from the edge. Cry all you want, you'll pee less on this week's upstaging episode. Well, hello and welcome to another exciting episode of High on Film Sobering Talk About Movies, episode 202, coming at you, and again, unfortunately, a truly sobering episode as we mourn the loss of not only General Princess Leia Organa, aka Carrie Fisher, but uh, the very next day, we also lost her mother, Debbie Reynolds. Pretty crazy. Um, quite a way to cap off 2016, but here we are in 2017, still remembering and still uh, discovering films of both their careers. Um, we decided to watch Postcards from the Edge today, from 1990, directed by Mike Nichols and written by Carrie Fisher, uh, off of a book written by her by the sa of the same name. Uh, and actually, neither one of these actresses appear in the movie, but it uh, apparently very detailed and... Uh, more or less true account of, of their uh, relationship and uh, own issues with addiction and fame. And there we are. Welcome, guys. Postcards from the Edge. All right. Get the somberness out of the way. I'm Chris Maxwell. I'm your host. I'm here week after week bringing you movies. Except for the, like the last couple where we had some time off. You know, it's our year break. Give us a rest, would you? Um, <clears throat> I should also address the elephant in the room. We are... Clearly in the month of Macanuary and not celebrating Macanuary. Uh, my bad. We did not know these people would die. Uh, and I, we, I think we all felt that it was only appropriate. Especially, um, no offense, Debbie Reynolds, but I love Carrie Fisher. Uh, big, big Star Wars nut over here. Uh, and uh, that one, losing Carrie Fisher, hit me a little harder than I expected. Uh, let's get to my co-host and see how he's dealing. <laughs> He is the man right to my left, the Brad Davis that God gave us, my co-host and friend, Brad Davis. Boy, that was a beautiful segue. Thanks, man. <laughs> How are you feeling? Are you holding up, Brad? I'm, I'm holding up, Chris. Yeah, I, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed both these actresses, but I, I certainly wasn't the Star Wars fan that I know you are, and I know a lot of people are, um, and Debbie Reynolds, I, I actually probably have had more affection for Debbie Reynolds' movie just because I always liked Singing in the Rain. Uh, even, like, movies like Mother. Like, that was like one of the Albert Brooks movies I really knew the best and have seen the most, probably, funny enough. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's... it's any time You just think about the family in that day, and it's like, oh, you have a, to lose your, you know, a, a, two women in your family in back-to-back -back days right around the holidays, and that just is the cherry on top, and... Yeah, it's tough, man. This has been a tough year for 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 icons. Yeah, for sure. Um, well, at least you you then balance out the podcast. If you're going to mourn Debbie Reynolds more, I'll mourn Carrie Fisher more. Yeah, it's not a question of mourning one <laughs> the other more. I'm just saying more of a connection. But yeah, no, it's it's tough to lose both of these. I think you know doing postcards seemed like a a good way to honor both. Yeah, I agree, and I've never seen it. I was so excited I never to watch either. This. Yeah, big Mike Nichols fan. I guess not that big. I didn't see this. Movie. <laughs> <laughs> not big enough. Not big enough. Growing every day. Um, yeah, Meryl Streep, Shirley MacLaine, uh, a cavalcade of other celebrity cameos in this film. Um, great. Let's get to our guest, the person who chose this movie for us, appropriately enough. 
Uh, you know, every time she's on, I mean, someone died. It's our in memoriam specialist. <laughs> Carly Walsh returns to the show. Glad to be here, guys. Hey, Carly. Not really, because it meant that somebody died, but you know, I I always love doing a podcast with you guys. Always sad to mourn the loss of some some yeah icons in in the film industry. Yeah, I mean, you've done Gene Wilder this year. Mm-hmm. I did David Bowie. And David Bowie this year as well. Yeah. Ugh. It's been rough. It's been a rough one. Hi, Karumba. Yeah. yeah, and I think we've only done only one other in memoriam. The Robin, Robin Williams. Williams. Yeah, maybe that's it. Jeez. Yeah. What's going on? Well, Carly, uh, have you previously seen Postcards from the Edge prior no, to not. this viewing? Oh. I have not. This was the first time that I had ever seen the movie as well. What'd you think? I liked it a lot. Um, yeah, I thought that it was a really, a really lovely mother-daughter story, which I know that... I mean, they obviously had a tumultuous relationship, but I was so happy to see it end on an up note, like that the two of them continue to get closer throughout the movie and understand each other a little bit more instead of a lot of these uh, parent-child Hollywood relationships that you see just become stage moms and, and start putting their own their own expectations on the child a lot more. And I really felt like, I know Carrie Fisher wrote this and it really felt like it was commenting on her mother, but also very realistically representing how she felt in, in her growing up and didn't paint her mother in a bad light. I mean, everybody, both of these women went through really tough times and you saw them go through really tough times. Um, and then at the end, I just love that moment where she was like, we weren't built for private life. Yeah. Because neither of them <clears throat> were. And and I love that that's the, that's the thing that they both realized and brought them closer together. It was I thought it was a great movie. Yeah. And, and something we know now is that uh, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds, they lived next to each other. Their houses are right next to each other. for Yeah. Apparently they didn't talk for years after this movie came out. After the book and the movie came out, that I mean, that's somebody told me that. I'm not sure if that's actually accurate, but um, I wouldn't be surprised yeah. about that. But it, then they did get a lot closer. Yeah, and it certainly seems like a strained relationship. <laughs> yes, uh, absolutely. Despite, I mean, there is always love there, even in the way these actresses portray them. But I mean, it also makes that uh, the tweet that I I saw. I think everyone saw after this that. Carrie Fisher would find it hilarious that her mom upstaged her even in death. Yep. Uh, ring even more true. I did not Absolutely. really understand the relationship to be like like it is represented in this film, but boy, oh boy, does that make a lot, a lot of yeah. sense now. <laughs> <clears throat> All right, guys. Well, funny enough, we have covered both of their most iconic films, I, I want to say, like Star Wars and Singing in the Rain. So, um, yeah, glad we got this. Uh, enlighten my film catalog as well. Mm. Let's get into some trash, star, destroy. And uh, since I'm the host, I got to choose, uh, and we're going to do Carrie Fisher movies as our first category. One, you must trash, which means it's eliminated from existence. One movie you get to star in, in whatever role you'd like to take for yourself. And of course, then the third movie must be destroyed, which means that the only version that has ever existed has been both written and directed by Mr. Michael Bay of the island fame. So, Carrie Fisher movies... Star Wars, When Harry Met Sally, Ellipses, Soap Dish. 
So dish. <laughs> um, yeah, I guess I. We probably need to start in Star Wars. I mean, probably. Like, I mean, yeah, it just seems like the most logical choice. Yeah. I mean, like I like the the role of Harry and when Harry met Sally. That's a pretty good role. You get a lot of juicy dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I mean, yeah, to like be Han Solo in Star Wars is probably too good of a opportunity to pass up. So I think I'll do that, which then means when Harry met Sally and Soap Dish. Jeez, boy. Uh, I guess I'm actually going to trash when Harry met Sally because I feel like if Bay does when Harry met. met when Harry Met Sally, all we're getting now is like a rom-com. Like yeah. a very, the, what is today the standard mediocre rom-com. Um, yeah, but that like rush to New Year's Eve at the end. Oh, yeah. Intense. Oh, oh, gunfire. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I still think Soap Dish, which is kind of like a, it'd be interesting to kind of watch uh, Michael Bay do a parody on the like, television industry the especially like the melodrama um so uh, that that would be kind of interesting to me and you got a stellar cast there to kind of carry it too so that's what i'm doing yeah carly <clears throat> i may just want to switch it up a little bit please because I, I was thinking that of course you want to star in star wars um because i wouldn't want anybody to really mess with Star Wars, and I'd want it to stay intact. But then as I was thinking about it, I mean, really one of the only roles that I could take is Carrie Fisher's, and so I am not going to do that. (laughs) (laughs) It could be Luke Skywalker. I I could. Yeah. All the new Star Wars have uh, female protagonists. I understand, but I think I'm not going to star in Star Wars. Wow. I know. I think I'm going to star as Sally in When Harry Met Sally. It's a good role, too. Um, I just, I love, I love that role. And I love Meg Ryan in that role, but I want to get my hands on it, too. Yeah. Um, and you get all the funniest scenes with Carrie Fisher. Exactly. And I, I think the thing that I can't decide, and I know at... I love Star Wars too, but the thing that I can't decide is whether I give Star Wars to Michael Bay. Because I think that while I don't like Michael Bay, I think that his hand in that would be more well suited than in Soap Dish. And I think that if the script is still fairly similar, I think that... And it's only the first movie, so then the next movies would have to come afterwards. Yeah, you still get Empire. True. And and the Star Wars movies don't have all the same director. So so they switch it up and that could be the one that's like the same director. Nuts. Shouldn't have done Michael Bay. Yeah. I think that that's what I I think that's what I'm gonna do, and I apologize to both of you. It's all right. (laughs) I mean, at least there will be more Star Wars movies because obviously Michael Bay can take a franchise and launch it and be able to make that money back in order to make another one, so that would be my only concern, but here we are. Okay. Well, I'm going to star in Star Wars. <laughs> what? No way. I'm going to be your boy Luke. Um, and then I think I have to go with Brad. You made a convincing argument, and I was kind of leaning that way anyway. I mean, maybe Michael Bay can do, um, instead of soap operas, it's, you know, behind the scenes of a music action, video. Or action. Ooh, that's Which better. is Television. where he's from. Or you know, like, yeah, yeah. Yes, yeah. 
that's where he stems from. So, uh, and then yeah, and Harry Met Sally, I just think would be just not really work with uh, under the watchful eye of Michael Bay. So trashed. All right, guys, let's do one more category. A category I'm calling E True Hollywood Story. Being as Postcards from the Edge is written uh, about Carrie Fisher and uh, Debbie Reynolds' life together, let's do three movies that uh, portray real-life Hollywood stories. Postcards from the Edge, Tim Burton's Ed Wood, and Martin Scorsese's The Aviator. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, I think I probably... I mean, I'm leaning towards starring in Ed Wood because Ed Wood's probably my favorite movie out of this group. Um, but there is something tempting to like take in the Dennis Quaid role as bad as some of the lines are because you just get to act with Shirley MacLaine and Meryl Streep. Yeah, which is not the and worst for Mike Nichols thing. Yes. Um, but I can't even think of like other roles in Ed Wood other than. Johnny Depp and um, Martin Landau. But, eh, I'll take the role of Ed Wood. Fuck you, Johnny Depp. <laughs> <laughs> Seem like kind of a dick these days, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I'll be Ed Wood, work with the guy who wins an Oscar for it in uh, Landau. And then, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I guess at that point I am aviator and, sorry, What's wrong with me? The postcards from the edge. Postcards from the edge. Postcards from the edge. Yeah, I guess I gotta give the aviator to Bay. I feel like there's no way Bay can really <clears throat> do postcards from the edge. That seems like we're gonna lose a lot of the tact and a lot of the importance to this film. So I feel like it's better off trashing it and then giving the aviator to Bay. And hey, maybe if I trash it, then, you know, they'll be f be friendly again sooner if the movie didn't come out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think Michael Bay would do all right with Postcards from the Edge. Uh, I mean, I, I saw a Painting Game, and that deals with a little bit of an addiction. Okay. Um, I don't think it would be the worst. I, don't, I do think maybe Ed Wood is probably the worst one to give him. And I think the best movie of the three. Yes. But that might leave it in the trash for me. Because then you also could be Scorsese. Or work with Scorsese. Yeah. And I'll take DiCaprio's part right out from under him. Sure. Yeah. Get to work with a lot of other great actors. Oh, yeah. In a good, and I think, uh, underappreciated Martin Scorsese movie. Well, I am going to mix it up, too. Again, Carly! <laughs> Um, yeah, I think I'm going to take the Streep role in Postcards from the Edge. I mean, I'm not saying that I can act as well as Streep. Don't get me wrong, but mm -hmm. I... I was saying I can act as well as Leonardo yeah, DiCaprio. Yeah, no, I, I, I know you were. <laughs> um, but I do... I mean, I, I really did enjoy the performance, the relationship, the, the script. I mean, just the story I, I thought was great, and I'd love to... I'd love to work on that and work with Debbie Reynolds and geez. Yeah. Um, you mean Shirley MacLaine? Uh, yes. Shirley MacLaine. Yep. That's what I meant. Uh, <laughs> probably get to meet Debbie Reynolds. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully I would at some point. Somewhere uh, in the process. <laughs> um, and then 
Yeah, I don't think that I could give Ed Wood to um, Michael Bay. Because I was thinking about taking the Sarah Jessica Parker role, but I just, I think that Postcards from the Edge is just a better role. Um, yeah, it is. Arguably. Definitely. Um, <clears throat> so I'm going to trash Ed Wood, and then I'm going to give the Aviator to Michael Bay. There it is. All right, guys, with that, we are going to take... A break. And we will be right back with more postcards from the edge, more Carly Walsh, and more morning, Carrie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Right after this. And we're back with postcards from the edge. You can't help yourself <laughs> from falling. Classic Aerosmith from the 90s. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's loosen things up here. <clears throat> we didn't, you know, let the sobriety of mortality <laughs> sink away. And we'll get into the summary game. Uh, the first game of the podcast that's worth a damn, that is zero to two points for each person sitting around the table today. We're each going to take a turn at summarizing postcards from the edge in a thousandth of the time that it actually takes to watch. A 101 minute movie allows us each 10.1 seconds to give us uh, the old college try and the best GD summary you can muster. Of course, we always have our patented toy cost coin toss. With their three-sided Matthew McConaughey coin. Brad, you want to enlighten people to the results, please? I want again! You want again, you... <laughs> it's, uh, it's uncanny. You want to go first, second, or third, sir? Uh, I'll, I'll go first. Alright. Taking the lead. Yeah, I guess so. 10.1 <laughs> seconds on the clock. Alright. In three, two, one... A Hollywood actress overdoses and is forced to live with her uh, also Hollywood actress mother uh, while she's on the new set of her film. She tries to deal with sobriety and her mother's alcoholism, uh, and they end up being closer in the end. Okay. Thanks, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> okay. They end up being closer in the end. Yeah. yeah. True. 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 Okay. So that <clears throat> makes it your turn, Chris. It does. Uh, 10.1, correct? Yes, sir. Are you prepared? Uh, sure. Good. A lot of confidence. Yep. In three, two, one. A young actress uh, overdoses uh, and uh, is put into, oh, damn it, uh, rehab, and her mother has a strained relationship with her uh, because she gave her sleeping pills and they make up. <laughs> Die. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't think of the word rehab. It's got stuck on it. Oh, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it's a pretty good summary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm glad someone does. <laughs> Uh, all right. Carly. All right. Try, try to best that. All right, I will. Three, two, one. A young actress is uh, addicted to drugs and hospitalized and is put in the care of her alcohol alcoholic mother who always overpowers her or overshadows her, and then they get to bed. Oh. Well, <laughs> I couldn't finish the words. I love the arms flailing <laughs> about. No, I'm drowning. I'm drowning. <laughs> The words won't come. A very, yeah, physical expression of how you were feeling at that point. Oh, boy. Well, uh, there's a clear window of the back there. Wow. <laughs> well, uh, well. Uh, Chris. Yeah, thank you. Thank you very much. That's what I thought. 
Alright guys, well, it is time to keep on rolling into first impressions. In this game, we'll each supply the person sitting to our right with a line from Postcards of the Ed from the Edge that they would like to hear impersonated. Postcards from the Edge! To the best of their ability. Uh, Brad, you went first that time, so I'll go first and give Carly a line that I'd like to hear her reiterate. Uh, and I think it's going to have to be a Doris line. Shirley MacLaine playing Debbie Reynolds, where uh, in the famous staircase scene, staircase showdown, showcase showdown, uh, Drew Carey comes out, and no, and uh, what they're they're having at it, and Meryl Streep is blaming Shirley MacLaine for everything that's happened to her, kind of, and she said that she lifts her skirt, twirled her skirt up at her seventeenth birthday party. Well, here, let's just listen to it. You only remember the bad stuff, don't you? What about the big band that I got to play at that party? Do you remember that? No! You only remember that my skirt accidentally twirled up! And you weren't wearing any underwear. Well. All right, Carly Walsh, with your best Shirley McLean as Debbie Reynolds. All right. What about the big band that I got to play at that party? Do you remember that? No! You only remember that my skirt accidentally twirled up! Wow. Yeah, that was really good. That was really good. Yeah. All right. Nailed the twirled up. That's, that's, to me, that's the big part of that line you have to hit. Yeah. Yeah, you hit it. Well done. Great job, Carly. Thanks. Would you like to give Brad a line? You'd like to hear him in person. I would. Brad, you're also getting a Doris line. Boom. Ready to go. Always got my Shirley MacLaine. Impression. I was going to say. Impression packed and ready. The amount of times I've heard you do a Shirley MacLaine impression. All day, every day. This is from one of the first scenes that they're in together. Uh, not the first, but one of the first. When they are driving to the house, uh, Shirley MacLaine is taking her daughter back home and letting. From, pick, she just picked her up from the hospital. And is just informing her daughter of a lot of her own health issues as her daughter has just gotten out of the hospital. Um, once again, sort of overshadowing the issues that her daughter is having. Um, so this is just a line from that. Usually it's normal. But in our family, dear, all the women die young. All have weak systems. Grandma's still alive. Barely. And don't contradict me, dear. I'm just trying to tell you that I might not be around for very much longer. I don't want to alarm you, but I do want to prepare you for my death. All right. A little bit of a morbid line there. Ready, Brad? <laughs> sure. Your Cracker Jack Shirley MacLaine. <laughs> it's always, always prepped. <clears throat> Barely. And don't contradict me, dear. It, I'm just trying to tell you that I might not be around for very much longer. I don't want to alarm you, but I do want to prepare you for my death. Good. Not so bad. Yeah. Yeah. Nice yeah. Shirley right. McLean, Brad. Thanks. Right. Nice. Yeah, it could have been much worse. Could have been much worse. <laughs> that was lovely. Thanks. Do you have a line for me? I do, Chris. Uh, I'm actually going to give you a line of one of the Hollywood cameos in this movie. A Hollywood cameo? A Hollywood cameo! Hollywood! Um, it is a uh, another director, Rob Reiner. Oh. Um, Carl's son. Yes, Carl's son. Um, and he plays a producer on the movie that she is has just agreed to do uh, with... You know, under the understanding that she has to live with her mother 
because of her drug problems. And Rob Reiner plays someone who's coming in to tell her they're excited to have her there, but also to let her know that they need a uh, drug test from her. And this is kind of a line from that. I understand we're behind you 100%. It's just it's a formality of the business. Yeah, I understand, totally. So do you want blood or urine? I think urine would be fine. All right. Director of This is Spinal Tap and The Princess Bride, Rob Reiner. Yeah, understand. Uh, yeah, we're behind you a hundred percent. It's just pff, a formality of the business. Yeah, I understand totally. So, would you like blood or urine? I think urine would be fine. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Hey, nice. Thanks. A little, a little Woody Allen. Yeah. But yeah okay. Yeah. yeah. He he aired towards a little, little bit more New York. Jewish. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jewish New York. Mm. But yeah, still, it works. Yeah, thanks. All right. Well, that's uh, that's first impressions, guys. Great job. Woo! And now you can put down the scorecards. You can leave the pressure of being judged behind you, because we are entering the hard hat zone of scene work. Of course, we're an optimistic podcast. We like to start things off optimistically. Do 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 do. Best scene. What's the best scene in Postcards from the Edge? The staircase scene. I think is mm. is one of the very best scenes. The confrontation of hard truths is what I wrote down there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the line we just heard, the, you know, I twirled my skirt yeah. lines in that scene. Yeah. Well, she even, I mean, you get the reveal of, you gave me sleeping pills when I was a nine-year-old. And then she's like, they were over the counter, it was nothing. And it's, I mean, yeah. clearly I mean, something. You, yeah, you and you see uh, Debbie... Not Debbie Reynolds, I keep on wanting to say it, but Shirley MacLaine also. Um, Doris. Or is Doris. The character, yeah. yeah. Doris, um, immediately after accusing her daughter of doing drugs, and then she's like, and you think that I'm an alcoholic. And all of a sudden we go into how she, how she also views herself, because mm -hmm. she clearly views herself as an alcoholic, and her daughter hasn't necessarily said that. Yeah. But. Just the, the venom that comes out of that scene towards one another, while also claiming that both of them were taking care of each other, yeah. is, I, I just think that it's a really, really beautiful scene of two people who are dealing with addiction on different, in different ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, it's, I mean, it's the climax of the movie, yeah. really. I mean, it's the, it's kind of the final battle, or the big battle that you've kind of seen brewing underneath the surface the whole movie. Um, and of course you have two titans of film just standing on a staircase, just yeah. yelling at one another, getting it all out each other. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's, you know, terrific acting, it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely probably the best one, in my opinion, as well. I mean, I have a couple other ones here that I think are close with it. Um, but that's probably my pick as well. Yeah, hard to argue. I mean, there's... The performances of Streep and uh, McLean throughout are awesome. Uh, and this is certainly the showcase. Uh, yeah, I, I would say that is the best. I'd say my second best is the you don't know me versus I'm still here. 
Oh yeah, sing off. Oh, I was gonna. Awesome. Yeah, I was gonna mention that too because I think it's at, that's probably the more, especially doing kind of the in memoriam to them mm-hmm. type thing. Like that's probably more the kind of the showcase of them doing the it better showcase of the daughters. Yeah, a little more. Or I'm sorry, the mother and daughter relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the it, well, the whole party scene. I think that once they get to the party and you see that her mother has thrown her this like all-out bash yeah. for her getting out of rehab is hilarious. Like, it's it well, is, it's a funny... It's more of a funny scene, whereas the staircase scene is more of a heartbreaking scene. Oh, yeah. Um, well, it... it the I the mean, party carries its little bit of heartbreak because it's clearly oh, sure. for Doris. Oh, absolutely. Not for Suzanne. Absolutely. And, like, I mean, even when they walk in, like, Shirley McLean's like, oh, everyone, my daughter's back! And, like, take center stage away from it. Like, it's... I, I mean, that carries some real... It carries a lot of weight. Uh, yeah, but, heaviness but to it. But you also watch Meryl's, how Meryl Streep played it was much more lighthearted and sort of, I expect this of my mother. Well, when you're watching Suzanne actually watch Doris perform, Suzanne she's genuinely laughing. enjoying herself. Yeah. yeah, She really likes watching her mother perform. She likes that... Even though it irks her a bit that her mother was the one like goading her into singing a song yeah. and then like coaching her to tell her to take off her jacket and stuff, like it's just like, well, and ugh. you get the perfect understanding in that scene as well of the differences in their actual job, like in their performance-based stuff. Like mm-hmm. you, the rest of the movie, you kind of hear them, you know, uh, go back and f- argue back and forth, but this is actually the scene where you see the difference in their uh, careers. It's like you know. Uh, Meryl, uh, Carrie Fisher's character, Meryl Streep is like doesn't really want to sing, but like is forced into it. But then actually, really does a nice performance. Is beautifully yeah, sang song, very genuinely talented. And then, but then her mother takes the stage and does a great song with like all these dance moves, yeah, and there's a whole number involved. And it's she, a showstopper. Yeah, yeah, and she's up on the, jumps up on the piano and like crosses her legs, yeah. like, like uncross. It, it's it it's perfectly depicts I think what they're kind of a. Uh, for what the relationship is, it's a nice microcosm of what their career paths have been, mm-hmm. what their careers have been to kind of show the difference. And I also love that around Doris's house, there aren't pictures of anybody else except for Doris. There's all these paintings of her in her prime and, and magazine uh, articles. Yeah, ma- magazine articles and paintings that people have done and just pictures of her face. It's it it's really interesting when you're going around that party scene seeing all of the times that you see Doris yeah uh, I did just want to also mention that uh, the way they deal the way that everyone in this movie treats Suzanne after she gets out of rehab uh, I think is so frustratingly true and I think this movie does a really good job of showing that like everyone is telling her to relax or to have fun until they're done with her, and then they're just like, then they discount her opinion completely just because she was in this clinic for a little bit. Yeah. And it's, it's so subtle, but it, they like needle it at you the whole movie. And I, I just, it was something I picked up on that I thought was just a really nice touch in, uh, in the screenplay. Um, Another scene that I just want to just touch on please. for one second is when she's being Do this admitted all day. to rehab. I thought that that. By Dennis Quaid. Oh, rehab. No, when when she's Not being admitted to rehab, and it's just and it's uh, she and CCH Pounder. Yeah, and she's just 
defeated and you just see this defeated like I just thought that that was a really beautiful representation where she just was like I'm not I don't know what you mean that I'm here yeah I don't I don't get how I got here I don't know why I am here I was just doing something like I'm fine and then you quickly see that deteriorate and I I just thought that that was beautiful too yeah and I I actually would be remiss if I also didn't mention the after uh, Shirley MacLaine uh, is in the car accident is in the hospital uh, and Meryl Streep mm-hmm. comes and puts on her makeup and her wig for her. Yeah. I thought that scene was pretty... Uh, it, it, it would seem more poignant given the circumstance and that's kind of their... After their big fight, their reconciliation. Yes. Um, and you're and Meryl Streep does her makeup, puts her eyebrows on for her. At this point, Shirley MacLaine's like not wearing her wig. So she's like, oh, you're like, you know, she doesn't have much hair on top of her head. You just see her like completely... Uh, you know, normal or not normal, but like you see her aged. Finally, yeah, like, you yeah. see her her yeah. her un, with no makeup, no wig on, what she looks like, and you see Meryl Streep put it all back together for her, and her you know lovely little lie like I don't let me be buried without my eyebrows and yeah. just this. It's a it's a really beautiful moment uh, at yeah. the end of this movie, and given the circumstances, seemed even to stand out more as uh, needing to be mentioned. Yeah, agreed. All right, well, if there's a best scene, uh, that means there must also be a worst scene. Do-do-do. Worst scene. What is it? Dennis Quaid Ranch House. Dennis Quaid Ranch House. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Be more specific. I'm going to be. Um, But when Suzanne decides to go to Dennis Quaid, who, who plays a... Young stud, I guess. Yeah, um, he's like a young, hot actor or yeah. something. And she, he tells her that he thinks that she's great and wants to take her to his ranch house. And they they end up going, and then they have this long scene in a yard where he just tells her that he's in love with her over and over and over again. And it's all very sappy and very slow and doesn't make a whole lot of, I I felt like it just wasn't, it wasn't written as well as it should have been and it lasted a lot longer than it needed to. Most Dennis Quaid dialogue in this movie, I have, I mean, at one point doesn't he say, you smell like the future? Yeah. Yeah. You You smell smell like like Catalina. Catalina. You smell like the future, which is brought back later. These are things that are exposed to be his (laughs) lines. I understand. But, oh. I mean, even for lines, I just felt like, and and I'm sure there's people out there, you know, even when she's saying, he's saying to her, like, I've loved you, you know. Oh, yeah, since the first time I saw you on screen. Right. When you Uh, you looked into the camera in whatever that movie was, I knew that you were looking to my soul and I fell in love with you. I I mean, I'm talking about making his fantasies about her real and stuff like that. It's creeptacular. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, Uh, it's, it's super weird. And you just get a couple lines in there that really seem almost so ridiculous that it's hard to believe anyone would believe it yeah and she seems that i guess is i think the bigger sin is that you don't like why would suzanne believe this? she's not yeah she's smart she's smart enough. she's cynical well and like she, and she keeps on saying that he that he doesn't know her and then just like at the drop of a i feel like halfway through the conversation she's like well okay then and it seems inauthentic to her yes I agree. It doesn't seem like something she would actually do. It seemed out of her. But what if this is true? Character. What if Carrie Fisher did, you know, have was kind of romanced and allowed herself to be? 
and smoothed maybe, a little bit by a womanizer. Then maybe. I guess, I mean, sometimes, eh, believe me, there's a lot of things I've seen before where it's like, oh, that would, that's so unbelievable, that would never happen. But then you like hear things like that happen. You're like, oh, I guess that's not yeah that unbelievable. But it did seem unbelievable at the time, right? I mean, I guess I guess just it felt it it just felt inauthentic. And if it was something that later on when she has the conversation with Annette Benning that he said, well, just did when she's like, well, did he tell you that you smell like Catalina? Yeah. I guess I didn't need to hear Dennis Quaid say you smell like Catalina. I could have just been told in that moment that he said all of these lines to her, which led them to bed. But that moment with them just didn't have the chemistry that I guess I was, I would have wanted. Yeah. I would have liked it to fool me a little more because like you've already established when I was watching it, I was like, this is dumb. Yeah. But like having them come around and say, oh no, these are his lines does excuse a little bit for me, but I agree. It would have been better if I would have like, oh my god, he's really in love with her, and not like this dude's creepy as fuck. Well, yeah, and I guess I just didn't need to hear all of the lines. I could have been told later that. But he only gives her like a third of them, which means he really likes her. I know. Yeah. See that part again. I really like that line that he's. She's like professing that. Oh, he brought out some new lines for you, so he must actually really like you. Yeah. I mean that adds to the creepiness and bad. Yeah. Misogynist, but. uh, it certainly makes me appreciate the, the shitty lines that he has to spout earlier, you know? Fair. But yeah, probably the worst scene, definitely. Yeah. Otherwise, Richard Dreyfuss' bedside manner is uh, something to be desired. <laughs> Leave something it's there. It's weird. Yeah. Once again, super crazy. Hey, I sent you flowers. You get them? Except Let's I Let's go on a date. Like, but, I'm not ready. But that is one of those things <laughs> so where, as, as a celebrity i wonder how often that may actually happen too very true that all of a sudden the doctor's like well this is my in yeah especially they're, princess they're leia here, like, here and oh and oh deed and i'm the one who pumped your stomach so i'm gonna send you flowers that say so weird yeah. but probably not out of the realm of possibility true yeah I, I also have a problem kind of with the last after she has the fight with her mother and she goes to like the looping session mm-hmm. and gene hackman playing the director the director is there, yeah. and they kind of have this really, really long, too long, and extremely deep, meaningful like moment of Gene Hackman, I guess, building her back up, and I guess you're kind of supposed to think like the director dealing with the actress type thing, but it just seems like they didn't have a very close relationship, or not close enough for this meaningful of a conversation to be taking place. I mean, he had like told her, you know, he starts at the beginning of the movie telling her if he, she fucks this movie up for him, he's going to fucking kill her. And now he's having this conversation with her that's like basically rebuilding her, completely rebuilding her spirits. It just struck me as kind of a a weird choice to have him do that, or maybe it was just simply too long and too over, a little... You're right, it's unearned. Like, their relationship yeah. is not established of that being a very close one. At least from what I remember, other than that first scene, then she comes back later to the looping. Yeah, I just can't remember if he mentions in that first scene if they've ever worked together before. And I I guess what I wonder is within that, if he has known her for years, so when she comes out and is like a little loopy, he sees it, and that's when he's just like, I will kill you before you ruin this movie. And they they do have sort of a closeness there, even though because he's the one who calls her out on it. Mm-hmm. Everybody else is just yes men, and she and he takes on that role of get your shit together or 
you're out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, even from not earning the relationship thing, I think overall it's just too, too long. long. Yeah, it, it just needed to be... It gets a little overly sentimental for what their purpose is here. Right, it could be condensed. I mean, you didn't... You, you're, it was a lot of just saying the same thing different ways. Yeah. It, it, it just could have been a cleaner dialogue overall. But, I mean, again, it's certainly the Dennis Quaid stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's the worst scene. And it all comes back to... It all comes back to DQ. There it is. And there it is, the theme song for the final game of the podcast. It's time for Milkin' It! In this game, we're each going to draw a card from the big box of Hollywood ideas of prequels, sequels, reboots, and genres. On said card will give you a new way to reimagine, uh, repurpose, reuse any characters, ideas, themes, storyline from Postcards of the Edge into a brand new movie. Uh, we'll need a title and a quick summary of what uh, we're putting back out there to make a billion more dollars for the studio system. Zero to five points this time, so easily the most heavily weighted game of the show. Ah, up to this point. And through through the end, because we're not going to do any more games. <laughs> I was going to say, I was about to say, no, that's it. It's definitely still the highest. Yep. And Carly, I believe it is your turn to go first, so if you want to draw a card. A slasher flick. Oh, Ooh. a slasher film. Yeah. Interesting. Alrighty, Roo. Righty Roo. Brad, draw please. I'm rebooting it. Rebooting mm. Postcards from the Edge. It's Postcards from the Edge! Classic Aerosmith theme song. No one's going to be annoyed by that by the edge. <laughs> Nobody. And I will do the sequel. Oh. Nice. Interesting. All right. Well, we are going to take a quick break, gather our thoughts and ideas, and be right back with three brand new movies for your listening enjoyment right after this. And we're back, sending postcards from the edge here on High on Film, right in the middle of milking it. My favorite game of the podcast. Carly Walsh, you drew a card first that said something attuned to slasher flick. That's nice. <laughs> um, go ahead. What do you got for us? <clears throat> okay. So, my movie starts with Suzanne, a young actress just out of her prime, um, who has had some problems with anxiety over over her years. She was an incredibly famous actress, um, but hasn't been doing um, a, a ton of movies since. She had one iconic role that everybody knows her from. Um, the burbs. <laughs> and on the set of this new movie that she started, uh, it's sort of a B movie, but she starts to, her anxiety starts to come back that somebody is following her, that somebody is, is always around her and watching her. Um, and it starts to get even worse when her assistant goes missing on set. Um, and slowly but surely, all of these women who are associated with her start disappearing from the movie. And they just don't show up to work the next day. And in Hollywood, you know, sometimes that happens. So you just recast, you you bring in new people. And we as an audience, being as it is a flash, slasher flick, flick, can't say it, um, we, <laughs> we see what happens to these women. And we see um, a, a figure, a dark figure, dressed all in black, 
um, taking these women, luring these women into... We, we don't see how they get to these places. We assume that they are um, lured in some way. <laughs> okay. Um, Baited into dark alleys. Yes, yes. Um, and then we see them get murdered. And so Suzanne... <laughs> so Suzanne, unable to uh, work on the movie any longer because she she has this horrible anxiety and starts to take anxiety medication. So she starts to get really loopy and is able to under or isn't able to say her lines on set and the director just calls it quits with her. He's like, Well, you're you're out of the movie then. We we can't have you anymore. You need to you need to get out of here. She goes into a little bit of a bender because she doesn't understand. She she feels like she's being attacked but can't prove it to anybody. And so she ends up, OD, she she has sort of a fling with a man who meets her at a, at a bar and tells her that he's going to show her the time of her life. And she goes off with him, ends up ODing, and is assumed dead until her mother finds her and takes her to rehab. Now... <clears throat> She goes to rehab, and slowly but surely, she starts to feel more comfortable until her roommate goes missing. And once again, we see this dark figure. Um, I guess we just hear a voice talking to this woman, luring her somewhere, and then it is this dark figure. Mm -hmm. um, then Suzanne... So people around this rehab clinic start disappearing as well, and they are just being checked out. They, like, there still isn't something that she can hold on to. Um, so Suzanne is released into the care of her mother, who throws this gigantic party at the house once she's out of rehab. And upon arriving, her mother, um, or her, a bloodbath basically ensues at this party, yeah. where you see this figure follow her to this party. And this is one of the, this is the first time that we see this man, and this is where it gets a little... Weird. Sorry. Um, but we see this figure dressed all in black with a very iconic black mask on who is after his princess. And it is basically Darth Vader. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay. Who is trying to get to kill everybody. And until we see the mask, her mother continues to believe that somebody is after her because she's a famous actress too. So he this... This killing that's happening in her house must be must have something to do with her. And Suzanne ends up defeating this man, who is the man that she slept with right after uh. um, she got... Or right before she went into rehab. Um, the Dennis Quaid character, if you will. Creepo. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, and he's been in love with her since he saw the first movie. Has that speech at the end, until she, and then she kills him. Um, and the movie is called Signed... The Invader. There you go. Okay. <laughs> I was waiting for it to be her estranged father, actually. Yeah. I kind of thought that was going to go that way, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But nice. Very yeah, good. Yeah. Sign the Invader. Brad Davis. Yes, sir. You've got a a true, in true Hollywood fashion, a reboot for us. I do. A mere... Kind of. 17 years after the original... 27 <laughs> years after the original was made. Yeah. When, especially when it's based off... True material, it's kind of hard to just reboot that. But okay, we'll figure it out. Um, so, my movie is 
going to be similar in a lot of ways. Uh, one of the, there's a few things I will change. Uh, one is that to make kind of, which it's, it's done to a certain extent in this movie, but, uh, to make kind of the parody around the Hollywood industry even bigger and more of a central factor and start delving into more, uh, of the, uh, t today's more arguments in Hollywood about, uh, and they do in this movie objectifying women, but also like more contract stuff, more uh male co-stars getting paid more all mm. of that kind of talk so stuff that's a little more you know uh, prevalent to this subject that's now just been opened up i feel more and more since 1990 of kind of how uh the big problems going on there so i feel like you can even make more of uh go further into the hollywood aspect of it of a woman's role in hollywood mm -hmm. and and show that uh, I would also think it would be more interesting as well, certainly to still touch on addiction in this movie, but um, Carrie Fisher was such an advocate for bipolar and mental health oh. issues, so to kind of more dig into that in this movie as well with depression and bipolar disorder and kind of how the addiction more feeds into those things and or, and, or is a, uh, a, a you know, the reason for doing those things. Um, so it's going to kind of more touch on just kind of a lot more subjects, I feel like. We could push that a little more forward. Um, so that's kind of the overall thought I have. Uh, I did some recasting. Please. Um, I'm actually going to have Meryl Streep come back to play <clears throat> Doris now. Awesome. I think that's easily yeah. in Streep's realm, and that would be a fun thing to do with this. That'd be great. Uh, for Suzanne, I was debating. I think I end up probably end up going with uh, Amy Adams. Okay. I think that can work pretty well. That was decided between her and Jessica Chastain, actually, for two redheads for some yeah, reason. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But there, I think those are two of probably the more premier actresses uh, of that uh, generation at this point. I thought about Julianne Moore, too, but I feel like she needs someone maybe a little younger. Because mm -hmm. um, her. Not Bryce Dallas Howard, who we're naming redheads. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> no, not her either. Um. <laughs> So anyway, or, or Emma Stone. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. Um, but Bryce Dallas Howard, though, I mean, actual showbiz daughter. Yeah, it would be. It would work into it yeah. pretty well. Uh, I would also recast uh, the Dennis Quaid role as Bradley Cooper. Okay. Um, the Gene Hackman role as Robert Downey Jr. Mm, interesting. And uh, Richard Dreyfuss as Michael Sarah. Hilarious. <laughs> that is hilarious. <laughs> um, uh, do you have a retitle? Yeah, that's really where I'm struggling here. Part of me wanted to go with Living on the Edge, just because it's too funny not to, but I think I'm actually going to go with Over the Edge. Mm, okay. I think that's a little more, you know, pertinent for, I mean, certainly the character in the movie is over the edge, yeah. over the edge at that point. So I, I think that's my final decision. Nice. I like that. And it can also speak to the greater Hollywood system of, you know, misogyny and then... You know. Yeah, it's a little more encompassing for kind of what Business I'm trying to shark. do. Yeah, 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 yeah. I like it, Brad. Good oh, job. Thanks. Thank you. All right, I have I have the sequel if you guys are ready for it. Ready. Super ready. All right. Uh, Suzanne, now older, uh, has a major health scare, unfortunately, uh, which forces her to kind of look back over her life of fame and addiction and mental health. Um, and through this new lens, uh, she views many of like the tragedies or... or Tragedies of her life as lessons or, you know, things she can 
use to help uh, educate others and, you know, sees the greater good and an outpouring of love and support that has sprung up around her throughout her life, uh, including the repaired relationship with her mother. And uh, despite having bouts of depression and, uh, and so many seemingly bad things, she uh, comes to realize that she has a lot of good in her life. And she uh, passes quietly and peacefully into the night. Jesus. It's called Postcards from Beyond. Ah, uh, oh, nice title. Lovely. Nice title. Well, that's lovely. Thanks. Yeah, you just earned some couple bonus points for that title, too. That's, oh, thanks. That's nice. But yeah, I feel like you get some flashbacks of, like, you know, some of the movies she shot over the years, some of the tougher times she had. Not necessarily the ones detailed in Postcards from the Edge, but uh, younger and then older as well. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. There you go, guys. Nice work, sir. Thank you, thank you. Albeit a little somber, I found it only appropriate. Yeah, it seemed to make the most sense given the unfortunate circumstances. Yes, indeedy. Well, uh, as you pass your scorecards to the front of the class for final edition, we move into the pessimistic end of our show, podcast regrets. Anything you regret saying or not saying on this uh, episode? Anything we missed? Yeah, I'm looking through. I mean, I guess my main thing is there's a lot of really good lines in this movie uh, that we certainly bypassed. Um, but just a couple that rang true to me. The one when Shirley MacLaine's talking to Meryl Streep and the line is, I came from nothing and made something out of my life. You come from something and are trying to make nothing out of yours. Mm-hmm. Just rang as a very poignant, well, well-designed line. Um, I do like the one where uh, everybody's always leaving the business. Yeah. That uh, Dora says, like right at the beginning of that uh, staircase scene. Staircase showdown. Staircase showdown, yeah. Uh, it's just, it's, it, I kind of, you know, rang on some of that Dennis Quaid dialogue earlier, but I do think, you know, it deserves to be said that this movie does have, it is very well written for the yeah. most part. Minus those scenes. Yeah. I think other than that, and those aren't even really egregious, like, bad scenes. Yeah. Um, and I think there's some really wonderful dialogue in this movie. And Streep plays Fisher to a T. Yeah, she's great. Like, oh, I completely see Carrie Fisher in Meryl Streep's performance. It's awesome. Um, I also just want to say that the last moment where uh, Suzanne is watching Doris walk into the press... Uh, all done up that she has she's just made her mother done up in the hospital and she has the comment of we weren't made for private life um but just watching the daughter in awe of her mother still it did make me think of i know the photo has been going around everywhere of a very young carrie fisher sitting on the side of the stage watching her mother perform and i think that that is that's still a very iconic thing i mean we talked about how she was truly enjoying watching uh, Doris perform in the film, but I think that it it you can't get away from this movie without knowing how much admiration Carrie Fisher had for her mother. Oh yeah. Well, then you get the part at the end of the movie too, where Shirley MacLaine like can't see the stage where Meryl where Carrie you know Meryl Streep's about to perform this big yeah. number. Yeah. And then you do this really beautiful pan up into like the rafters, and of course above everyone else is yep. Shirley MacLaine yep. still looking down on her, uh, yeah. you know, still looking down on her daughter, kind of, yeah, yeah. but like just a grin on her face that is. Well, again, genuinely enjoying watching her daughter perform. Yeah. Yeah. So. All right, guys. Well, I got the points tallied. Uh, Pretty disparate uh, point spread here. 
Unfortunately, I'm in third place with 15.9 points. Carly, 16.8, a solid second place. Yeah. But Brad Davis ran away with it, 17.6 oh points. Oh my god. Mm. So congratulations, Brad. Hey, thank you. Yeah. Hey, you're welcome. Um, and that's it, guys. Yeah. That's the podcast. Carly, thank you so much for bringing this uh, movie to our attention, to our uh, morning process, and uh, always, always great to have you on the show. Always great to be here, guys. Thank you. Anything to plug? Any internets? Um, just uh, Scarlet Begonias on Instagram and uh, at GoTeamCarly on Twitter. The tweets. The tweets. Brad Davis, thank you very much, sir, as always. A pleasure, sir. Happy New Year, guys, by the way. Happy New Year. Happy New Year, Happy New Year doll. Yeah. Uh, at BD, always GP on Twitter and Instagram. And yeah, happy holidays, happy New Year, everyone. There it is. I'm at Cross Maxwell on your social media bowls. At High On Film is the show, wherever you need to find us. Uh, tweet at us, send us an email at thehighonfilmshow at gmail.com. Um, Give us your own Carrie Fisher memories or your Debbie Reynolds memories. And we're going to be back next week. Hopefully. I will, I, as God is my witness, before the month of January is over, we will be celebrating McConaughey at some point. And I think this week I'm going to try to get out a top ten list of 2016. Oh. My favorite movies of the year, which I'll probably... I don't know if there will be an audio component, but definitely write something up for that. Um, so pay attention for when that comes out. And that's it, guys. Uh, we love you. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Goodbye.